So we are in week two of this series simply called Six Days. And the reason why it's called Six Days is because we are looking at the final six days of Jesus' life here on this earth before he surrendered his life uh, to the cross and laid it down. And what intrigues me is that Jesus knew he was going to lay, lay down his life. He, he knew he was living the last week of his life, and yet what did he do? If you knew that you were going to live one more week in this life, how would you live? What would you do? And we see that with Jesus uh, in all the Gospels. If you take all the Gospels and you put them all together, you see sort of a timeline and a schedule of what Jesus did uh, there here on this earth. And so last week we talked about how on Sunday, it was last week, he had a, a royal entrance you know, obviously, uh, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and the crowds that were following him, they, they knew that he was uh, the Messiah because of all the, the miracles. And just a few days before, he, he uh, raised Lazarus from the grave. And so the power of God was with him in his messages and the way he spoke. He spoke with authority but walked in humility. And so they were ready to crown him king. And they were expecting when he walked into Jerusalem and that last week in the, in the Passover week as thousands of Jews uh, descended on this city from around the world, they heard about Jesus, word spread, and they didn't even have Instagram or Twitter uh, to tell people about it, and word spread like crazy, and they actually made a way because they heard that Jesus was coming. He was staying just outside the city a few miles away, and word spread before him, Jesus is coming, he's coming into the city, so they actually made a pathway by laying down their outer garments or palm branches to, to create a pathway for Jesus. They're expecting a king riding in on a white stallion. Jesus blows their mind. He's like, no, that's not how I'm gonna, that's not how I approach people. I don't approach people like I'm on a white stallion. I approach people like I'm on a humble donkey. So that's what he does. He gets a donkey and he rides a donkey, a donkey who sits much lower to the ground, almost to the point to where Jesus could almost see eye to eye to people, but yet ride on a donkey. And so, but people still celebrated him. And so what we learned last week through that is that just like the people who created the path, we need to create a path for Jesus to come into our life. Now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that makes the way. He's the way maker. But there's also his way to our hearts, and we've got to have a way for that path to meet. In other words, you open the door that Jesus is knocking on. He's knocking on the door of your heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. And many people have done that. You either here or listening online, you have given your life to Jesus Christ. And he knocks on your door and you're, you create that path and he comes in and you have sweet fellowship with him and he lives inside you. But can I tell you something? That's a decision, not a salvation decision that needs to be made many times over. That is a one-time decision, but it's an everyday decision to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm opening the door. Here's my calendar, here's my thoughts, here, here's my agenda, come into my day. Rule, be Lord of my life, rule my life. We also talked about with the way he entered Jerusalem on the donkey, he, he, he is approachable. You know, 
people aren't going to accept Jesus, who's riding in on a white stallion. They're going to be, well, he's high and mighty, too much authority. He, he's, he's high up on his horse. Uh, I can't reach him. No. This is symbolic of the way Jesus will enter into your heart when you open the door. And so he does not use force to force everything in your life. He just simply rides on the donkey. But we also read last week in at the end of time, at the end of the ages, in Revelation, Jesus is going to come back again, hallelujah, and he's going to come and receive us unto his own, and he's going to come on a white horse, Revelation says that, with swords, and king of kings and lord of lords, and he is going to throw Satan and all of his demons into hell, finally, and lock the gates of hell, because he holds the keys. And so, you and I need the Jesus on the donkey sometimes, but we also need Jesus on the white horse. That Jesus is on the white horse, he's ready to eradicate sin in your life. He defeated sin. Now, sin still lingers, okay? Sin still lingers in our life. You have probably sinned this week. I have sinned this week. Yes, your pastor has sinned this week. But guess what I do? I try my best not to live in this sin. And when I do sin, I go before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me of this and help me. Help me to not walk in pride. Help me to not think I'm, I'm something special. Take my heart and I'm gonna give it to you and be Lord of my life. I have to surrender. I've got, I have to crucify my flesh all the time. I've gotta take up my cross, as Jesus said, daily and follow him. And what that means is we've got to come before him every day, opening the path. Lord Jesus, come be Lord of our life. You know, one passage that I did not read last week, and I saved it for this week. You know, at the end of that first day, on the end of that Sunday, we see Jesus do something else. We see this in, in Mark chapter 11. If you have your copy of God's word, I'm gonna be in several passages of scripture, but at the beginning of my, of my message, <clears throat> I'm actually going to be mostly in Mark chapter 11. We'll have this, uh, the words on the screen and also for those who are watching online. But Mark chapter 11, we see this in, in uh, verse 11. The last thing Jesus does that is written that he does on that Sunday Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Bethany, obviously, a, a town outside of Jerusalem, 12 obviously being the disciples and probably a few more other people also. Probably say with, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his, his good friends. But so Jesus looks at the temple. I could see him. It's kind of towards the, the end of the, of the day and the end of the day being uh, at dusk and he looks and he notices something that disturbs him. How do we know it disturbs him? Because of what happens on Monday. He sees something that disturbs him. And what's very awesome about this, Jesus decides not to do something then. So, but he, he makes a plan. He makes a plan. He goes to Bethany visits his friends, and he makes a plan in his mind. Hey, I need to do this tomorrow. And so it shows that when Jesus finally does something about what he sees, 
in the temple, we, we know that it is not a, an irrational decision. It's not just based upon emotion. Have you ever seen something that disturbs you and you want to get, get it done right then and there? Happens in, in our house all the time. We see something, we're like, no, 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 no. No, we, we got to stop this right now. And, and depending on the situation, it, will depend on how much emotion is involved in this. And so as, as you and I look at uh, certain situations, either around our home or at, at our place of business in our community, maybe on your sports team, and you're looking at this and you're like, hey, I, we need to fix this right now. Some things, yes, need to be fixed right now, but there are a lot of things that you can actually sleep on it. I don't like to sleep on things. But you know what? I, I sometimes... Sometimes it's a good move for me to do that. And go home, just go to bed, sleep on it, pray about it. Okay, Lord, how do you want me to deal with this? And I think that's what Jesus did. Jesus saw something that disturbed him in the temple, and he left and went to Bethany. So we see um, uh, what happens in the next morning as we're in Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14. It says this, the next day... As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In fact, we'll see in the next day, um, we'll see this next week, in the next day, uh, as Jesus walks back with his disciples and he goes back to Jerusalem, this fig tree has withered and is dying because of the curse that Jesus placed on this tree. Now, why would Jesus curse a fig tree? Well, first of all, as Mark shared with us, Mark's, uh, uh, the, the, the writer of this gospel, he said uh, the, this fig tree was actually uh, blooming too early. And the fact that it had leaves on it gave hope. Hey, I'm hungry, so it should have figs on it. No sign of figs at all. So he cursed it. What there is, it's symbolic of what the Jerusalem people, I mean, the people uh, living in Jerusalem and the, the people of Israel, how they lived fruitless lives. How they were just on the outside, they had leaves, but they had no they had no fruit. Oh, sure, they're excited about a, a, a new king coming. No idea that Jesus would lay down his life. They're thinking, they're thinking a king that's going to free us from Rome. That's what they're thinking. And they're excited about that. And so they may show leaves of, of, uh, of excitement and leaves of, of knowing uh, and telling the world, look, we are the Israelites and we have our Messiah who's coming and is going to overthrow Rome. But yet, they don't have a life of fruit, of living for God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, it's a, it's a symbolic action based upon the, the, the fruit that is absent from the people's life. You know, they were professing, the people of Jerusalem, they were professing to be fruitful, faithful, by waving palm branches as they entered the city, yet the Jewish people were fruitless. Non, they were non-productive in practicing their faith. So within a few days, 
a lot of those same people, what they would do in a few days, they would, some of those same people would be saying, crucify, crucify him. See, when you, when you walk in your life, and, and, uh, and if you profess to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's no fruit, you're going to switch back to the ways of the world very, very quickly if you don't have fruit. And so Jesus shows us that, look, you've got to have fruit. If not, then you're not productive. So as we uh, go on into um, after what happens when he curses the, the fig tree, we see this in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So you have Jesus who goes into this temple area, and again, he, he notices this, it serves him the night before, and he's throwing things over. In fact, John, John says he, he uses a whip and clears, clears out the temple. In fact, maybe he went home after seeing that Sunday night, went home and crafted a whip. You know, he was so passionate that the people used the temple for what it was supposed to be, a temple of worship, a temple of prayer, not a temple used for, for money changers. Now, people had to, people had to buy some, some um, doves and, and sacrificial animals who were coming in from out of town for the sacrifice. Yes, they had to do that. But there was commercialism and greed that it altered the character of the temple. This, this currency or, or this temple money, this worship tax used to purchase sacrifices was subject to extortion. You know, again, just the day before, people were praising, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They made way for the Lord. They made a path for the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, here's your path. Be our Lord. Oh, he's Lord, all right. And if he's Lord, guess what he's going to do? He's going to clean out the temple. You know, we don't really have that temple today. It's been destroyed. There's a wailing wall there. There's pieces of it. But we don't really have that temple, and Reason, reason why is because there's a new temple. The new temple is made up of people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, invited Jesus into their life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. The presence of God lives inside people. So we are the temple. And we see this in, it's so awesome in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
verse 16, all the way through verse one of, of the next chapter. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God himself has said, I will live with them, I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, be separate, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be your father to you, and you will be my sons and daughter, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from, ever, from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Last week, the key word was royalty. Jesus entering as a royal king. On the second day, on Monday, it's about purity. It's about purity. You see, if, if Jesus truly is Lord of your life, then guess what? He's going to come in and clean your temple. And in fact, if there's not some temple cleaning going on in your life on a regular basis, then I would say that Jesus is not Lord of your life. You may know who Jesus is. You may sing songs about him. You may go to church. But if you're not constantly opening the word of God, spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship with other believers, if you're not to the point where that is done on a regular basis, then there's not much cleansing going on in your heart, in your soul, in your body, and your life. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is with you. And so, we're gonna talk about three cleansing agents that you and I can have. So, if I'm up here saying, all right, there's gotta be cleansing going on in your temple, in your life, in your body, in your heart, in your mind. If, there, if, if truly this has to happen, what does that look like? You know, there's a, obviously a lot on the news right now about a virus that's like taking over the world. And, and I definitely don't want to make light of it because obviously uh, many people have died from that. And in fact, you know, we often wonder, maybe we should not give high fives, maybe some elbow bumps or you know, or, you know, thumbs up or, or whatever, you know, but hey, Lake Point Church, we, we, we don't walk in fear, we walk in faith, we shake hands, we hug, you know, and, uh, but I do know this, um, it's all over the news, as you know, coronavirus, and, and there are schools shutting down, there are actually schools around here, they're, they're cleansing, they're spraying, they're, they're cleaning out the schools, why? Because of this virus. Cleaning things out. You know, it's obviously similar to what God wants to do in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, in our whole body. God wants to use his Lysol to get rid of the germs that is plaguing our life. And so what are those what do those cleansing agents look like? What does it look like? 
Well, cleansing agent number one is the presence of Christ. And if you're following along actually on your mobile app, you can actually fill this in and send the notes back to you. But the first one is the presence of Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies, with what you do, what you put into your eyes, what you put into, into your heart, what you think about, what you ponder those, those thoughts that nobody knows that you're thinking except for God himself. Replace that with things that are pure. It's all about purity. Bring purity, bring cleansing into your temple. We see this in, in Titus from uh, a letter from Paul in, in chapter two, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. If you're eager to do what is good in this life, guess what? Jesus is ready for that. But Jesus, and it says that he's going to purify. It's him that does it. He's going to purify you with his life, with his presence. Cleaning agent number one, numero uno, is his presence. How do we get his presence in? We empty our life. We empty ourselves of what we are and we replace it with who God is. Reading of his word, taking his word, reading it, putting it into our heart, into our life. The music that we listen to. Students, listen, I know that, I mean, there's a lot of great Christian music out there, and yeah, there's some worship music, and, but listen, I wanna encourage you. You, you. I wanna encourage you to go on a, maybe a fast of other music outside of, of, of Christian, God-fearing music, worship music, and there's all kinds of different styles. And adults, some of you probably need to do the same thing. Because you don't know this, but what you're listening to is getting into your heart, is getting into your head. It's there, and it stays there. So what you wanna do is, it, it, you wanna replace it. You wanna replace it, so you wanna drown out the other voices with voices of truth. So, agent, cleaning agent number one, the presence of Christ. Cleaning agent number two, the power of Christ. The power of Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul shares this in Romans chapter eight, verse nine through 11. It says this, you however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If needed, the spirit of God lives in you. So what he's saying is this, look, if needed, you've got power. If needed, you have the ability, you have this extra power there that you can use for your life. 
If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The apostle Paul is reminding us the same power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. God looked down after three days and said, all right, that's enough time. Let's get, let's get my boy. And so that same power through the, through the spirit of God is living inside of you. It's not just reserved for Jesus Jesus said many times, the things I do, you're going to do even greater things. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ lives in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of Christ living inside of you. Some of you need to wake up and realize that. You need to wake up and say, you know what? I'm tired of living a life of defeat. I'm going to walk in, in victory and not just claim that victory. You're going to say, I'm going to have the power of God. I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into my life. And you get that power on your knees, through the Bible, through other fellowship, through people. Whatever it takes, you can walk in power. For those listening online, you can walk in power. God has given you power. If you accept Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, that spirit is alive inside of you. No, that's not my words. That's, that's, a, that's a Bible. And I don't know about you, but that, just, that's a, that excites me. There are times I'm just tired. And I just need the power of God in my life. I'm tired of fighting the temptations, the sin, the, the, the frustrations. And I just need to rely on the power of God. So you have the power of Christ. You, I mean, you have the presence of Christ. You have, the, you have the power of Christ. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There it is. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You cannot defeat this evil in this world without the Spirit of God, because it's spirit recognizing spirit. Do you understand me? Okay, it's your spirit, it's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, recognizing that there is another spirit, a dark spirit in this world and that spirit is there with the presence of, and the power of God is there to help you defeat the power of the other spirit. You and I, without the spirit of Christ, without his spirit, we can't recognize what it is. We can't recognize what it is. And when we're drained, where we don't fill our lives with the power, we don't put ourselves in position for that power and his presence to come into our life, then guess what? We confuse things in our life with just, you know, man, things are crazy. Circumstances, all this stuff. Uh, you know, it could be the enemy's after you. <laughs> it could be that maybe he wants to destroy you, destroy your family, destroy your marriage, 
Destroy the relationship with your kids. Destroy your walk. So we have the presence of Christ. We have the power of Christ. And the last cleansing element, the last cleansing agent to purify us, to purify our temple, is we have participation with Christ. In other words, it's not just Christ who's doing the work. You and I ought to be participating in this. When Jesus comes into your temple, help him turn over some, cha- some tables. Help him uh, just get rid of and demolish and to move outside of your temple all lies, all pride, all of those things in your life that you know should not be in your temple and it's causing things in your temple and, and it's causing things just to not go right and, and you can feel it and you're weighted down and you're like, man, things are really dirty in my life. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 23, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You and I, we have deceitful desires. You know what those are for yourself. I don't know what mine are. We probably share very similar ones. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So put off the old self, which is being corrupted, and put on the new self, okay? So we've got to renew our minds. We see this in, the ne- in, in my next passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to uh, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. Transform your mind, renew your mind, transform what you have to do. Take your old self off, put the new self on. Some of you are still walking around with the temple with sinky clothes. You need to get those off, you need to put on the robe of righteousness in your life, in your heart. It's participation with Christ. Say, you know what? I got stuff in my temple. I got junk in my temple. I've got unholiness in my temple. I've got things that should not be there. And me and Jesus, we're going to take care of this. And you do it by the word, through prayer, through fellowship of, of, of other believers, through the prayer of other believers. You cannot do this on your own. You can't. And so, church, if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have a temple that needs to be cleaned and it needs to be something that you and Christ work on together. I have here three glass jars. This, this glass jar represents how we came into this world. We came you know, uh, when, when Christ comes into our life, when, when we are born again, we are born again, we have this nice, clear life. Or maybe when, when you're, when you're uh, born into this world 
and you learn what sin is and, 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 and the darkness of this world and the sinful things that come into your world, it comes in and it turns who you are into something you're not designed to be. God designed you to be clear, to be pure. God wants you to live a life of purity. But we've allowed sin to come in. Even if you are born again, even if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? Sin is still in this world, and we allow that to happen. We allow it to come in. And whether it be a a, a first-time decision to to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only way you and I can be pure again is to allow the Holy Spirit, is to allow Christ, his presence, his power, participating in Christ. So you know what? Come into my temple. Come into my temple. Purify my temple. Purify my temple. Only you, Lord Jesus, your purity can take my life and make it clean, make it pure. In fact, Jesus not only can take care of your sin, but he can take care of all the sin in this world. If we allow him to pour himself into our life. Some of you here today, maybe your temple has has gotten dirty. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I need Jesus to come in and I need him to do some cleaning in my life, in my temple. Or maybe you're sitting here today and You've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to cleanse you and to purify. Jesus wants to make your life pure. He wants to clean out your temple. You know, if you make a pathway for Jesus to come into your life and be Lord of life, then you also give him permission to clean out your temple just like Jesus did on that second day. Is Jesus really Lord of your life? Because if you don't give him permission to clean out your temple, then I dare say he is not Lord of your life. But he wants to be. He's not gonna be Lord, break it down, barriers, on a white horse, he's on a donkey, he's humble, but yet he has power, he has authority, just like we've seen right here. He has authority to make things clean, to make things right, and he wants to do that in your life, in your heart. So every, every head bowed, every eye closed as we go into a really important time in our worship service. If, you, if you're sitting here today and you've seen this illustration and you're, and you're thinking, well, Frank, I came here today and I have things in my temple in my life that are just discolored, it's not pure, and I need, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to fill me up. Maybe if you've accepted Christ as Savior, 
You just need to take that moment. I want you to just take this moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus to, first of all, forgive you of your sins, to confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us as long as we confess him. So any unconfessed sin, just take this moment right now and confess that to him. Lord, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for those thoughts. I'm sorry for that action. I'm sorry for, for the way I responded in this situation. Whatever it may be, in the quietness of this moment, confess that to him. Now in the quietness of this moment, I want you to ask Jesus Christ, ask him to please do whatever it takes to clean out your temple. Expose what's in the dark. Put the light of Christ and expose it for all to see. And now, pray a prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, give me the strength and the discipline to participate with you in cleaning out my temple. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, Frank, I, I'm not the temple of the Holy Spirit because I've never asked the, the Holy Spirit to come into my life. And I need Jesus. I need someone to help me to remove this from my life, this, this sin. I've never confessed it. I can't live with this. I just need, I need help. I need help with no one looking around. If you just need to pray a prayer of salvation, if you need to ask Jesus in your life, in your heart, no one looking around, just simply raise your hand where I can see that. No one's looking around. Just simply raise your hand. Sam, you need to do that. If you raise your hand, just say a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you and help my life to be a reflection of who you are. Please save me from my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me in my sin. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to know about it. So see me in the hallway, in the lobby. Lord, thank you, Father, for doing some heart surgery here today. Thank you, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit, for coming and being our presence, being present with us, being our power, and showing us, Father, how we can participate in you to clean out our temple. Continue to do mighty work in our lives like only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.